Hello, friends, and welcome to yet another episode of Zippy the Wonder Snail. I am so glad to be here with my co-commissar, Jason. Hey, Jason, how are you today? I'm really good, Tim. How are you? I'm doing great. It's so good to be here. And we are here. We did our first ever video episode last time. We went through an all Psalms episode, which was, was fun and interesting. And now we're going to do something else we've never done before, which is we're going to record episode 28 after we've already published episode 30. Yeah, so we're you're not being very mathematically precise this time. Uh... Yeah, no one's ever accused me of being overly focused on mathematics, but 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 here's the deal. So back this spring, we recorded a couple of episodes at the same time, and world events changed so quickly, we merged them into a single episode. And, and somewhere along the line, in, in the show notes, I kept advancing the number as if we'd published the episode, and then I do the mathematical calculation in my head to subtract one from the episode. Anyway, uh, we've had episode 29 and 30, but I completely missed that we didn't have episode 28. So we are recording episode 28. It's the 31st episode we've recorded, but it'll be episode 28 for purposes of our listeners. So that that isn't confusing at all, right? Well, this will this will be weird when it comes out on uh, the DVD and Blu-ray box set. You know, when we become very famous. Uh, but we'll just yeah, well, you know, uh, previously on-air episode. Don't you want some? Don't you want some uh, some weirdness in the uh, in the collector's edition? Yeah, like you said, we could we could air the full uncut original episode that that got merged together. That'll, that'll be part of the bonus. Indeed. <laughs> Well, uh, that is confusing, and so are the laws about marijuana usage in our country. And this is something that I found perplexing for some years now. We we can think back to a few years ago. I'm, I can't remember off the top of my head how many years ago, but a few years ago when Colorado became known as the state that was sort of the marijuana state. You know, you're not just getting high in the mountains when you go there, and, and so we can make all the good jokes about Colorado, but but since then we've seen this spreading throughout the United States, and I, I know I've been struck, for example, by all the medical marijuana dispensaries and such that popped up since we legalized marijuana here in Missouri uh, for medicinal use, and it, it really gets my goat. For example, I'll be listening to the radio right now, and there's ad for, uh, well, I don't even want to make a reference to it because I don't want to help them out, but but an alleged medical marijuana practice that's supposed to provide you with authorization to go to the dispensary. And absolutely nothing about the commercial sounds the least bit medicinal. And then there's the, the medicine marijuana dispensary just down the street from me, and it looks more like some kind of tourist attraction than a medical clinic. It, it drives me nuts because we all know that most of the people going in there would never be given any kind of prescription drug for whatever it is that they're going in there for. Um, but it's confusing, right? Because we have our federal laws say marijuana is still illegal to to have and to take and to sell. And then on the other hand, we have what the state laws say, which often contradicts that. Yeah, I think I think it is really interesting that uh federal law is what it is and yet the states are legalizing it and what I want to say about your previous point about the medicalization or the legalization of medical marijuana is that 
that was just a clever step toward full legalization because when it started, people almost didn't want to admit that they wanted to legalize marijuana. So if you advocated it outright, it wouldn't work. Um, But sneak it in in this medical way. Um, And there are legitimate cases of medical marijuana use. I know a few people that have done that, but um, it's more widely given than it ought to be. And that was your previous point. But yeah, I think it was a step toward full legalization because sometimes in our country, we don't want to admit some people don't really want to admit this is where they really want to go with the law or with an idea, and then they can gradually push and get there. So I think that's what we're seeing. And so the the new story of the day is that President Biden has pardoned everyone in the federal system uh, in prison for crimes involving marijuana. Um, and on the one hand, as I said to you off the air, I thought that was a really good thing. I think there's people in prison for what I would consider minor drug offenses for way, way too long, and some people for the rest of their lives. Um, And I don't think that's a good thing. On the other hand, um, it's just this mainstreaming of marijuana use and probably heading towards the mainstreaming of the use of other drugs too. And I don't think it's positive. I don't think we're in a better place morally because drug use is more acceptable and marijuana is included in that. So I'm hesitant from a moral perspective, but I recognize the value of not dropping the hammer on somebody who just was in possession of a small amount of marijuana. Um, but so I'm ambivalent about the news story of the day. It's good that they're lessening the penalties and getting those people out of jail, but uh, mainstreaming of the of the use of it, I don't consider very positive at all. I I really couldn't agree more. Uh, I don't like the way our legal code works across the board, really, on this issue. I, I think you're right. I mean, you have people who have criminal records because of very minor possession, and then it haunts them, and it prevents them from moving beyond that. And and I don't think that really helps in any demonstrable way with recovery. Um, And we have this bizarre situation now where, where we do have a quasi legal system where, you know, there can be actual stores with signs up on, on physical buildings in this country selling marijuana and yet we have people with a criminal record for possessing marijuana. That that just doesn't make any sense. So uh, I, I'm glad to that extent that we say, well, uh, whatever we should be doing, what we probably shouldn't be doing is saying, we're not going to enforce the law to the extent that that any drug enforcement agency, agent that wanted to do something could go and just pull up a a list on Google Maps and find the dispensaries and, and go after them if, if we were going to actually apply the law here, for example, in Missouri. Um, we're not going to do that, but we're going to let these people just sit there with criminal records. That's just clearly wrong. Yeah. Um, but I also completely agree with you. I, I don't like that we're moving towards then essentially condoning this. This is acceptable. It's like any other activity. It's perfectly fine to to get high. Um, I, I think there's a lot of 
long-term societal implications we haven't thought out, or if we have, we're ignoring them. And it seems bizarre to me that we have something that we know actually alters people's state of mind that, oddly enough, we, we, um, we've just gone through this decades-long process of fighting big tobacco because of all the carcinogenic issues with, with smoking and so on. And yet we're going to encourage people to smoke marijuana instead. So now not only are they going to get addicted, but they're going to get high. I mean, there's just a boatload of moral problems. There's a boatload of civil society problems that we're kind of ignoring in this gleeful rush. Um, but in the midst of that, I, I'm glad that we're not going to make the, the person who gets caught with a little marijuana the one to pay for this idiotic, weird, poorly thought out combination of policies we have right now. And let me confront a possible objection that I thought of uh, while you were talking. Uh, because many people say, well, what about alcohol? And I think you and I are in a unique position to confront this objection because neither of us drink alcohol. Um, and, and so with that, I think we can agree with most people. Yeah, well, alcohol is dangerous and, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be as mainstreamed as it is, even if the laws are less strict. Um, the the use of alcohol and the condoning of use of alcohol is a problem, regardless of what the laws say. So I would confront the, the objection that way and say, look, I agree with you. Alcohol is not good either, and the way people use it is often not good. So uh, I'm not judging people who do use it. I want to say that carefully, but... We know that we have societal problems uh, morally with the use of alcohol, and we have for a long time. Uh, It's a little off the topic, but one of the things I deeply appreciate when our buddy Ken Burns got around to doing a documentary on Prohibition, and it's just called Prohibition, but he presented the the Prohibition side so, um, so faithfully and so... Uh, without malice that you could watch that and say, okay, I get it. I could see why, why this happened and why a lot of people thought that it might be a good idea considering the, the, the alcohol problems that we were having in the early 20th century. So to bring it back to the point, we always have to consider the moral implications of the mainstreaming of the use of a drug or some other compound. Even if we say we want the legal implications to be different than they are right now, we still have to face the moral implications. Even if we yes, want, yeah, definitely. So, well, and just to sort of tie those two together, and as you said, neither of us drink, and I've I've never been one to advocate people drink more. Um, but I do think there's one important distinction that should be observed there, which is alcohol frequently consumed by people to get drunk, but it's not exclusively consumed by people to get drunk. There are plenty of people who enjoy a a glass of wine with dinner and don't plan to get tipsy. There are plenty of people who will drink a beer and it's not enough to to in any way really alter their state. They simply enjoy the, the act of consuming it or the social aspect of it, sharing it with someone, that sort of thing. Um, I don't get it as someone who doesn't appreciate alcohol, but I, I know that's there. I don't know of anyone who, you know, eats marijuana-laced brownies or smokes a joint that's doing it 
because they they love the taste that's imbued by the marijuana. The point is to alter consciousness. And so it may be worth asking the question, would we approach alcohol the same way if the only thing it was used for was to get drunk? Right. That That is a good distinction, and that is a difference um, that I should acknowledge. And I think we we have to confront that. We have to confront the reality that there is no, in a way, we could argue there is no recreational use of marijuana, even though we use that term legally. Um, if you use it, you will get high. So, uh, and as Christians, this being a Christian podcast, we ask, well, do we have the right to put ourselves in an altered state at any time as Christians, as children of God? And I would say no. Um, if we do it accidentally, over-consuming alcohol or something, okay. Um, not ideal, but it's not the same as doing it intentionally. But we don't have the right to alter our state and be without our faculties because we rec- we represent Christ, we represent the Father, we represent God, the Holy Spirit. So, uh, right, we don't have the right to just choose to do that. So, and the thing is, yeah, and and in practical terms, I could I could call for any legalization possible for marijuana, but I still I don't want to go in for surgery and know that that surgeon was recreationally using marijuana right before he cuts into me. Uh, we have to recognize those as different questions, and I think a lot of our politics encourages us to consider those as the same question, that there's no... Yes. Uh, uh, your buddy Rachel Ferguson was talking about this on Twitter yesterday, um, that advocates for a lesser role for the state better known as libertarians, have an annoying habit of some sometimes saying that there's no moral implication, that they're only allowed to consider the implications with respect to the state's regulation. And that's wrong. We can consider societal and moral implications of anything. Even if we, even if we decide we don't want our government to be involved in that in such a direct way, we can still say, hey, this is morally not good. Right. We don't have to consider that as one question. Those can be two questions. Yeah, we certainly have plenty of times where public policy allows things that we would still say are morally wrong. And, and so that that's a great point. And one we probably should come back to, I think this is going to be a matter that affects our society for many years to come as we see the increased use of marijuana. I'm sure we're going to have to talk about the implications of that, how we handle it as Christians in the church, how we minister to people that are dependent on it. All these sorts of things are going to be coming at us, and we certainly will need to come back and consider that again in a future episode. Yep. Well, that is a smooth groove if I ever heard one. And so in our next segment, we're going to talk about another smooth individual named Roger Federer. Is that right? Yes. Tell tell us about Roger. So, yes, 
Roger Federer, uh, one of the greatest tennis players of all time, and I think the greatest male tennis player of all time, has finally retired at the age of 41. Uh, and he played his last match at what they call the Laver Cup, named after the Australian great Rod Laver, who was the first to win all four major tournaments in a calendar year back in 1969. Uh, so Roger and his management team created the Laver Cup a few years ago to to get a bunch of the luminaries of tennis together to play, not exhibition because it's pretty competitive, but it, right now the format is Europe against the world. And anyway, Roger decided that his last match as a touring professional would be at the Laver Cup. So he played a doubles match with his old rival Rafael Nadal on his team against another team, uh, Francis Tiafo from the United States and someone else. I want, maybe it was Casper Ruud of Denmark. Um, and sadly, Roger and Rafa lost. Uh, but it was a very emotional night. Roger Federer, uh, is far and away the most popular player that has ever existed on the men's tennis tour, on the ATP tour. He won the most popular player 19 times in his 24 seasons as a tennis player. Uh, he won 103 tour titles and he won 20 major titles. He's now since been eclipsed by Novak Djokovic, uh, who has 21 major titles, and his rival Rafael Nadal now has 22. Um, but in a way, uh, Roger had the beauty when he played tennis. There was a grace to the way he played tennis that I could watch a, a Roger Federer match and I would literally shed tears just watching him run around and hit a tennis ball. There was, it was balletic the way that he moved around the court and it was his anticipation, his ability to sense where the ball would go that was unmatched. They did a study one time at Wimbledon and Roger and Rafa were in the same round. They weren't playing each other, but they were in the same round and they studied they tracked how far each man ran during his match. So Rafa played a match. He, he whooped some guy, you know, four sets. It was pretty, pretty quick and not too hard, but they showed Rafa had run over three miles just along the baseline and toward the net in that one match. And in the same match, in the same round, Roger ran less than one mile. So it kind of shows you. He's able to anticipate where the ball was going to be. Uh, he was never caught out of position. And that way it allowed him to concentrate on being a shot maker. So he was the best shot maker. He could simply select a shot and he's waiting for the ball and he can hit a shot better than anyone. He could choose a drop shot or he could choose a backhand or he can do the backhand slice or, you know, a lob or anything. And if, if you have all that time and you're not surprised, you can pick and choose and you can create a new sort of paradigm. Uh, before Roger came along, it was coming toward a point where 
only power, power and strength would dominate on the men's tour. And he recovered the grace, the different styles of shots, the finesse. Uh, it was just beautiful to watch. And I'm sorry that he had to go and retire before I had a chance to, to let you watch a full match in person with me, but, uh, just wonderful to watch. And I, I, I was very emotional, uh, when I watched the final speech by Roger after the, after the match at the Labor Cup. He was crying. Everybody was crying. So anyway, no way to wrap that up succinctly. It's Roger Federer. He's the greatest. Well, uh, that really does seem like a good uh, net summary there of, of his time. And I am disappointed that we weren't able to, to watch a live match together. We'll have to at least watch one on replay together, and you can help me make better sense of it. But uh, certainly, even though I've never watched him play, and I don't know very much about tennis, uh, hearing you talk about him over the years and reading your articles and Open for Business about him, it, it left me feeling sad just hearing he was retiring, too. Uh, it, it's sad when we see these great athletes retire, and we're going to talk about a few more retiring athletes right after our sponsor, because we need to get into the Cardinals postseason, don't we, Comrade? Yeah, we do. So let's uh, go to our sponsor, and then we'll be right back after this message. Well, most of us don't spend our time in professional competition in sports, but we do enjoy our games. We enjoy watching athletic games, of course, on television, but we also enjoy games that we can play. And one of those games that's taken the world by sensation this year would have to be Wordle, the the daily word game. And maybe you play that every day and you'd like to play a little bit more. Maybe you haven't gotten into it yet and you don't really feel like dealing with the New York Times to get involved in Wordle, whatever the case might be, you should check out Bibicle.com. That's B-I-B-L-I-C-L-E.com. It's a free word-a-day game, same rules as Wordle, except using five-letter words from the English Bible. And you can post your scores just like it, compete with friends. What a fun way to spend part of your day finding a reason to go back into God's Word, even while you just play a game. And you can do it. There aren't any trackers. There there aren't any ads. It's not about getting you to sign up for an expensive newspaper subscription. It's just a little fun from your friends at Faith Tree. So check out Biblical.com today. Comrade, speaking of games that we like to play, we both love baseball. We both love particularly Cardinals baseball. And unfortunately, when we were planning to do this segment, we thought we'd be breaking down where we were in October baseball, looking toward another World Series title, hopefully. Uh, That wasn't to be. Uh, We ended very quickly, uh, two games into the postseason. Sort of, what are your thoughts? We, I mean, we had uh, quite a year. We had, of course, Wainwright coming back. We had Yachty on his last year. Question mark, big question mark over Wainwright. We need to talk about that. 
But then we also had just this fantastic narrative with Albert coming back for his last year. So, so much in this year, and then this this unfortunate rapid end to the year. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I wanted to say about about the end of the playoff series, the Philadelphia Phillies um, are way more talented uh, than anybody really thought. They, you know, they only won, I think they won 86 games in the regular year. So the Cardinals went in with 93, and we thought we're gonna we're gonna trounce these guys, you know. And they had two fantastic pitching performances, and the Cardinals basically could hit. Nothing. Uh, but one, one real joy of even losing those two games is that in their last two at bat, Yachty and Albert refused to just let us die. So they got, both got really big hits. Um, and we couldn't get the runs on the board in that second game, but they, they got the hits. They, they were like, we're not going to be the last out. If if our careers go down, yeah. it will not be because of us, and that was a joy to see. So we, but we didn't see, uh, we didn't see Wainwright in the playoff series, and that that was a little bit of an interesting storyline. Although we were all aware that he was struggling at the end of the season, um, but we'll get to that here in a second. Uh, but what we were going to say about this is that. A lot of people are clamoring, and not just in St. Louis, but around baseball, for another change to the playoff format because a lot of really good teams, including the Dodgers, um, were out in three games. Um, and so these really great teams that won their divisions by big margins and they're sitting at home because they lost a short series. Um, so many people are saying even this first series needs to be five games at least. Yeah, there there was something I, I felt like, especially, I really disliked the idea of division winners playing in the wild card series, uh, where where there there was really no yeah we had a home field advantage, but there by and large wasn't a distinct advantage for us winning our division over the Phillies who had the wild card, um, and all it took was us having right. Uh, a, a losing streak at the wrong time and it was over. Um, it seems like if you win right. your division, you should play at least through the divisional series. It, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense otherwise. And I'm, you and I were talking at, at the very least, they should make the, the wild card series longer. But, you know, even then you're basically penalizing a division winner and saying you have to play several extra games to be able to then play against the teams that have been resting. So you're starting off with a disadvantage just because your division, maybe your division, no one was particularly great, but for that matter, it could be that your division was really great and you clobbered each other and no one had just a, a huge win total, but you won your division, you, sh- you should be in the NLDS. It, it just makes sense yeah, to do that. Yeah, because the LA Dodgers won 108 games or something like that. Something absurd. Um, and, you know, second... Second place in the West over there had more wins than the Cardinals did, but they're they're just they're just a wild card team, you know. San Diego, um, who granted it's still playing, but you know <laughs> they won more games than the Cardinals did, I believe. Uh, so I I think they need to look at that. I think I I was horrified when I looked at the the playoff scenarios, the the setup that 
again, yeah, like the third division winner didn't get a bye like the first two did. So I thought that was wrong. They got they got to fix that. Because otherwise, why win your division? If you're just going to – unless you're the best team in the National League, you're going to get stuck in the wild card series. And to me, that's not fair. So I think wild card teams need to be in the wild card and division winners need to be in the division yeah. series. So they got to work it that out. It was like they fixed one problem because I think most of us didn't like the one game wild card playoff. Uh, I mean, it just, it, it wasn't really yeah, the best. It's really unfair. Yeah. But yeah. To then say, let's do a three game series and put a divisional winner in a wild card game, it seems like it's the wrong way to fix it. Yeah. That. I mean, the NFL sort of does that because you can, um, you can win a division and still end up playing on wild card weekend. But again, the NFL is different and it's acknowledged to be different. Um, the whole, the whole playoffs system in the NFL is one game and you're done. So everybody already knows that, you know, when you go in, you got to be at your absolute peak or you could lose. But if you get a bye, you, you get to wait an entire week to start playing in the NFL. So they give benefits for being uh, by teams in both conferences in the NFL. Baseball still needs to to give a comparative advantage to division winners, division champions. So I agree with all that. We've gone blathering about this longer than I think we intended. But, yeah, the Cardinals are out. The Mets are out. The Braves are out. It, it was it was a, basically a nuclear blast on all of the best teams in the National League in the wild yeah. card round. Brave so, new world now. Yeah, except yeah. without the Braves. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, um, so we probably should say something about Yadi and Wayno. Excuse me. Uh, we should say something about Wayno as well. But Yadi and and Pujols in particular, I'm clearly future Hall of Famers. Oh, right? I, I think you can just. You can just remove the future because uh, the future is now. I mean, they're no longer. We would always say future because they were still playing. Well, now they're former players, and we can just say, look, they're Hall yeah. of Famer. Um, and the way I would say this, and there's still debate over Yachty, and I don't understand why. Because my, pardon the pun, but my benchmark for catchers other than Yachty is Johnny Ben, of course. Johnny Bench with his 10 gold gloves and two MVP awards and all that. And Johnny Bench said, look, guys, I was done when I was 32. This guy is 40. And Johnny Bench said, he's a Hall of Famer to me. So if Johnny Bench says that Yadier Molina is a Hall of Famer, then he's a Hall of Famer. The discussion is over. Johnny Bench is the greatest catcher that anyone's ever seen. I mean, okay, Pudge Rodriguez for the... Uh, Texas Rangers, um, in the nineties there, 1997 AL MVP. But the other thing, and I hate to say this about Pudge, but Pudge Rodriguez, um, admitted to using steroids at one point in his career before they tested for that. And, but Pudge is in the Hall of Fame anyway. So it's, it's Pudge, it's Johnny Bench, and it's Yadier Molina in terms of catchers in this you know, relatively modern era of baseball that we're in. Uh, bench in the 60s and 70s and a little bit in the 80s. 
Pudge in the 90s and the 2000s, and Yachty from 2004 until this year. So that's a pretty good pedigree. Yeah. I don't know anybody better than those three. Yeah. Than those three guys. So. Yeah, Yachty on longevity, on his incredible defense, on on how he became a, a really important hitter on the team, and just what he added to the team. And then, of course, the the whole career-long saga of him with Wainwright as battery mates. I mean, just that, certainly for Cardinals Hall of Fame. But also, I mean, even uh, Yachty and, and Wayno setting the record for most starts as a battery mate, uh, it just seems like, as a battery, it, we, it just... The, I don't see how you don't put Yachty in the Hall and, of Fame. And you need to understand, this is another Cardinals connection with that record, the starts record as a battery. That record was held by Mickey Lolich and Bill Freehand. And you need to understand that the team that beat the St. Louis Cardinals in 1968 in a seventh game on a triple that was dropped by Kurt Flood in center field was Mickey Lolich and Bill Freehand, the Detroit Tigers. So this that was a Detroit Tigers team with Bill Freehand and Mickey Lolich that went toe-to-toe with Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson at the peak of his power in the greatest pitching season in the history of baseball and beat them. And that was the battery that has been surpassed now by Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. So it's a direct line from Bob Gibson, Bill Freehand, Mickey Lolich, Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright, uh, Gibson and McCarver. Let me mention Tim McCarver, also one of the greatest, most underrated catchers who's ever lived, Tim McCarver. Uh, but again, that, that is a ridiculous bit of history that, that they have surpassed the guys that went toe to toe with Gibson and McCarver at the peak of 60s Cardinals greatness. And then Yachty and Wayno have surpassed them yeah. now. So I'm rambling, but that's that's how I feel about it. So uh, this does lead us to the point, I mean, I don't think anyone's questioning Albert in the Hall of Fame, and what an amazing year having him back here, and just the, the inspirational storyline. It would have been so great if we could have gotten to the World Series, or, or at least to the, the um, NLCS or something with that, just with the three... Amigos, at least two of them on their last year. But we have to have that qualifier, don't we? Because we we don't have uh, Wainwright's notification he's retiring. There have been hints, certainly, throughout the year that he's not retiring. And, and that, that's an interesting aspect to this whole, whole story. Yeah, as we said before we went on the air, the Cardinals um, decidedly, in the second half of the season, were avoiding putting Wainwright together with the Yadier and Albert festivity because I think the Cardinals knew or they were told by Wainwright, hey, this is not the last hurrah, so I don't want to be celebrated like this is it. I'm definitely coming back. And then the the speculation started again because, as we said, Wainwright struggled a bit at the end of the season. And so everybody was worried, like, is he out of gas? Is he done? And then he hopped on Twitter the other week and said, Listen, it was a mechanical flaw. I fixed it on video, but I fixed it too late. Sorry, guys. Um, my fault. 
there's nothing wrong. I'm not hurt. I just was doing, doing something wrong. And so that tells me that he's coming back. And I think the importance of that is he's lurking right at the edges of 200 career wins as a starting pitcher. And right now, that's the new benchmark for a starting pitcher um, in this era because no one is going to go come anywhere near to 300 games anymore, I don't think, in this modern era. So if Wayno can get to 200, he's got the two championship ring. He's the most decorated. He has the most um, Cy Young Award vote for any pitcher that has not won the Cy Young Award, um, which is impossible. That's almost impossible to do. Um, so he's clearly a great pitcher. And I think even if he doesn't get voted in by the writers, which is a distinct possibility, I think when he gets to the Veterans Committee and they examine this era of baseball, they're going to say, hey, this is one of the greatest pitchers that pitched during this time. And he was just overshadowed by guys like Clayton Kershaw, by Tim Lincecum in his peak years with the Giants, uh, other pitchers, Johnny Cueto, some of those guys that when when Wayno would win 20 games in a season or he would win 19 games in a season, then one of those other guys would also win the same amount of games and, and maybe strike out more guys, and so they'd get more accolades from the national press. But it's like, man, we'd rather give Wayno the ball than anybody in this league. So sooner or later, people are going to figure that out. And dominating all the way through his 30s and into his 40s, that's got to speak for something. Right. You know. So I I would put Adam Wainwright in the Hall of Fame if it was me. Yes, I'm biased. But I would. And I think he's going to get the numbers next season to start to get that consideration. 1988 um, Cy Young Award winner and World Series champion Oral Hershiser finished his career with 208 career wins as a major leaguer. Um, and so that's another guy that's completely underrated. In 1988, he was completely unhittable, Oral Hershiser. 56, I think it's 56 and two-thirds innings of scoreless baseball during that season. It was like, it was like six or seven games. It was ridiculous. No one could hit anything. Uh, ran away with the Cy Young and led the Dodgers to the world championship over the much more highly favored Oakland A's. So there, there's guys at the margins like this that have always been there. Um, and I think Wayno's another one of those guys and he deserves that consideration. Boy, that was long winded, but there you go. Well, unfortunately, uh, we we have a lot to say on the season, but the season didn't have a lot to say on us, and, and we are at the end of it as far as the Cardinals go, but we'll probably need to come back to this topic sometime well before spring training. Hopefully we'll have some news on what's going on with Wayno, and uh, we can muse about that and get into some other hot stove league type stuff uh, over the course of the, the cold months that we find miss the warmth of baseball. Uh, I always hate coming to this part of the year where you can't just turn on the radio in the middle of the day and, and hear a baseball game going, but it will return again soon. And uh, I would love 
to see Wayno do one more year at least. Um, with him doing as well as he did most of the year, and with those two others, Albert and, and Yachty, now now retired, um, it'd be nice to have one more crack at having someone from this really incredible era of Cardinals baseball still with us for a little bit longer, and, and who better than, than Wayno? Um, really, uh, I know you and I have talked in, in show prep before about our favorite Cardinal, and, and I know that Wainwright is somewhere right at the top for me, and I, I really do hope that we get one more year with him. Uh, so we'll have to come back to that and come back to Cardinals baseball, and maybe, Comrade, what do you think? Maybe uh, after we get through the World Series, we should just talk about this whole postseason setup a little bit more because um, it needs to be yeah. changed. I, I would love to complain about this playoff format some more after the World so, Series. So we'll come sure. back because we know that the commissioner will be listening to the podcast, right? Uh, and uh, we'll want our advice. So That'd be hilarious <laughs> would. if you would. Well, uh, anyway, uh, fortunately that is our last strike for this segment on baseball, but we will come back to it in the future. Our show's second sponsor today is FaithTree.com Weather. We're coming into the fall. We're coming into travel time with holidays just around the corner. And we're also coming into that time where weather is all the more uncertain. And we need to know before we do things, do I need to wear warm clothes? Do I need to wear multiple layers? Do I need to enjoy the unseasonable warm weather and put shorts back on uh, like it is today as we're recording? You know, it varies a lot, and you can check out the weather at faithtree.com. We have weather for the entire world. It's totally free. You're not tracked. You're not going to be sold something for looking up the weather in your possible vacation destination. It is simply good quality weather. And you get a scripture that relates to the weather wherever you look it up as you do so. So please check it out, faithtree.com slash weather. Well, comrades, speaking of scriptural encouragement, such as we can find in that little clip every day on the weather, hopefully we're digging into scripture further. And of course, we like to do that here on Zippy Encourage, some exploration of scripture. And today, let's go ahead and look at Romans 11 and 12. You and I have been going through it with some guys in our Faith Tree Men's Bible study over the last few weeks. And as we think about it, what strikes you in in those chapters? I think it's such an interesting chapter because it, it's part of that chunk from Romans 9 to 11, that, that three chapter chunk. And one of the things, one of the great motivations for Paul to write this to the Romans was to try to explain to the Jewish audience, um, and to the Gentile audience in that church as well, uh, why, uh, the Jewish people at that time had rejected Christ. And so he wanted he wanted to explain that rejection. He wanted to explain uh the doctrine of election which is rather controversial no how, no matter how you slice it. And then he wanted to give encouragement um for the future. So when we get to Romans 11, we're talking about um Jews and Gentiles being in the church together. We're talking about the the church as an olive tree and we're the branches and 
those of us who have been engrafted as wild olive branches as the Gentiles, we're encouraged not to be arrogant about that, not to be proud about that, um, but that provided that we continue in his kindness. And so, um, and there is, there is hope for the future, even for those who are presently rejecting the gospel message, because, first of all, because of the earlier election of Israel by God, but also just because of the mercy of God and the outreach of his people, uh, especially in chapters 9 and 10, uh, preachers who go out sent by God and sent by Christ to bring the message of the gospel to the world. So no matter who we are or where we come from, we have a chance to hear the message of the gospel and respond to it and to share it with others and rejoice in common with those who have accepted it. Uh, and I think that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of Romans 11, but that was just a few thoughts I had from from that chapter and the chapter in context. So you're the pastor, you take over. <laughs> well, I always so appreciate your thought. Uh, you are so good at helping us to see what we find in God's Word. So I, you know, I can hardly just say, well, take over here, but uh, I, I know just for myself, I think what's really striking me this particular visit to to Romans 11 is that connection between our bodies being living sacrifices and the individual gifts that we have. And how, for one, it reminds us we have something to give that, that God calls each of us to participate in this process. Um, and so... You know, if we're just sitting on the sidelines thinking, well, I'm going to, you know, give some money and, and the professionals can take care of of ministry, it reminds us, no, this is something that all of us are called to do. It, it, it's something for the entire body of Christ. Everyone, uh, if you're listening and thinking, well, I don't have anything to give, I think that's because you haven't looked closely enough at, at what you've been gifted to do. Or maybe here's the, the, the flip side of the coin that also should be an encouragement on this first side of the coin. Maybe the church hasn't done a good job of encouraging you to see what you've been gifted to. And, and that's the other side of the coin, that it, it's a call then to us who are in church leadership at any level to, to make sure that we're not only seeing gifts in the people that act like us, think like us, work like us. Now, obviously, we, all, we need to agree on certain theological principles. There's that. But, but so often we get into superficial things like, uh, do you dress the same as I do? Or do you, are, are you really into sports ministry? Or are you really into, uh, this particular kind of, of benevolence or, or whatever? And we don't acknowledge what God's doing in people who are, are different than that. And as, as you said, comrade, this whole section is dealing with the interaction of Jews and Gentiles. And today we often make hard and fast divisions in the church as well between people who, who have different sorts of gifts. And it's a reminder that we all have something to serve with. There's something that we can give. And so it's incumbent on us as individuals to use those gifts. And it's incumbent on us as the church to empower people to use those gifts, to encourage them, and not only to see the gifts that are complementary to our own individual preference. So that's really what strikes me in this section today. Shoot, I think we're out of time, Tim. What do you think? 
We are out of time. And so let's just remind everyone, if they haven't already, they should subscribe to our podcast. And they can do that at their favorite podcasting store, Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, whatever it might be that you like to use. And, of course, you can check out this episode and all past episodes at zippythewondersnail.com. We're always glad to have you stop by there. And please do share. Let other people know that you enjoy Zippy so that more can zip along with us. Two Christian guys zipping through the news and culture that matter to you. It's always a joy, comrade. Thanks, as always. And thanks to all of our listeners, as always. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Tim, and can't wait for the next time. <laughs> <laughs>